turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Thank you for the wonderful comments, messages, ratings, and reviews. All of them are regularly posted for your reading pleasure on patreon.com slash markvinette. Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. God, gold, and glory motivated European nations to explore and create colonies in North America, particularly in the strongly Catholic nations of Spain, Portugal, and France. Religious zeal motivated the rulers to convert the native peoples and sanctify Christian global dominance in the name of Jesus. Riding a growing wave of discontentment within the Catholic Church and its leadership, guided by the Pope, a German priest, theologian, author, and hymn writer by the name of Martin Luther lit a match of protests that gradually grew into a bonfire that changed the world. This former Augustinian friar is best known as the seminal figure in the Protestant Reformation and as the namesake of Lutheranism, one of the largest branches of Protestantism. Join me as we unravel the truth, myth, legend, traditions, and mysteries surrounding this titan of history, which helps explain the relationship between religion, commerce, and conquest at the beginning of European exploration and colonization of the North American continent. Steve Guerra of the History of the Papacy podcast has graciously agreed to share with us his views on this remarkable period in history. October 31st will mark the anniversary of Martin Luther officially publishing his 95 theses on the door of the All Saints Church Cathedral in Wittenberg, Germany, then a part of the Holy Roman Empire. Most of the time, this story is told from the perspective of Martin Luther and the Reformers. I want to look at the Reformation and Martin Luther from an outsider's perspective, if you will. What did the papacy think of Luther? What was the Roman Church reaction to the Reformation of Martin Luther, which kicked off 500 years ago? There was a movement inside of the Catholic Church to clean house and push back against the Northern European Reformers in what was called the Counter-Reformation. Was Rome and the Catholic Church as completely corrupted as Luther and the other Reformers portrayed? What else was going on in the world politically and religiously at the time? Luther was a man of central Germany, which was a part of the Holy Roman Empire. Luther traveled very little outside of his zone of central Germany. Luther was born in Eisleben to a semi-successful miner. In and around the year 1500, Luther went off to university to study philosophy and law. He attended the university at Erfurt and Magdeburg. In 1505, Luther became an Augustinian monk. It's sort of a fun story as to how he stumbled into this vocation as an Augustinian monk. One day, Luther was traveling the road and was stuck in a really terrible thunderstorm. He made a vow if he survived, he would become a monk, and there you go. 
Luther lived as a monk in Erfurt. He continued his studies and in 1507 was ordained a priest. In 1510, Luther was sent on a trip to Rome, where he was very much less than impressed with what he saw there. At least that's the -the after-the-fact narrative, but maybe not necessarily what really happened. Not too long afterward, Luther received a doctorate in philosophy and theology, along with attaining a high rank in the Augustinian order. He was responsible for managing 11 Augustinian monasteries or chapter houses. You could sort of say he was an upper-level manager of the Augustinians. During the years of the early 15-teens, Luther really delved deeply into the theologies of Augustine and the cutting edge of late medieval theology and philosophy. At this time, Luther really embraced much of the ideas of Augustine of Hippo and especially Augustine's writings against Pelagius. Through all of this, Luther started to formulate his core ideas, such as salvation comes from faith alone, sola fide. Work, such as participating in the sacraments, was not nearly as important as faith and following the Gospels. And around 1516, Pope Leo X really pushed a big campaign of indulgences. Indulgences are a very complicated topic. We get a very narrow idea of what indulgences were and are all about from the Reformation telling of this story. Indulgences were really at the very heart of papal theology. Basically, the Pope, as Christ's representative on earth, had a bank account of grace which the Pope could use on earth. That power could be wielded in a very holy or a very shady manner depending on who was using it, how it was being used, and how the use of indulgences was perceived. Pope Leo X inherited a church that was definitely in need of some reform, and he saw that. Leo had different ideas on how that reforming would look. He thought issuing a special indulgence would be a good way to set a clean table and raise a little much-needed cash as a side benefit. Many people, including Martin Luther, did not like these indulgences one bit. In these years, Luther started down a road he probably couldn't have predicted, but it was down a road that would almost inevitably lead him away from the Roman Pope-based Christianity. The most important step was when Luther placed his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg Cathedral. Not everything Luther wrote in these grievances were that controversial, and really the points he made were meant to spark a debate. I mean, he was an academic after all, and that's what they did. They debated, they argued, and went back and forth. Almost immediately, though, the 95 Theses took on a life of their own. They became the late medieval viral news, using the latest terminology, of course, and then they used the printing press to spread the word all around Germany and beyond. This is the part of the story that often turns into lore, polemics, and apologetics. Often, at least in the English-speaking world, we get a very Luther-centric view of what happened. It's often said that Christianity is extremely fractured. People say Christianity is fractured to its core. That statement has some truth to it, but also some hyperbole. Christianity was quite diverse during the first two centuries of its existence, but by about the 4th century, 
Christianity had primarily settled into one set of ideas based on the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, or Statement of Beliefs. Pretty quickly after that, the church split over interpretation of that creed into three main branches. If we use the imagery of a tree, we can see a lot of roots that coalesced into one trunk that quickly separated into three trunks. The biggest trunk was the Roman imperial trunk. That main trunk was a little unstable, though, as the relationship between the Eastern Greek and the Western Latin parts of the empire were never super comfortable living together. By the time of Luther, the Eastern and Western imperial churches split it into two separate trunks, the Roman Catholic Church in the West and the Orthodox Church in the East. Sometimes this church is called the Greek Orthodox Church, and it certainly had a very strong Greek flavor, but it also included Russian, Serbian, Arabic, and even some Latin influences. Each of these other Christian traditions had their own views on Luther, especially the Roman Catholic Church. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. It's important to look at the world of 1517 from the perspective of the popes in Rome. This was a very, very difficult time to be a Roman or a Pope. The Popes of the later half of the 1400s and the 1500s were not perfect saints by any stretch of the imagination, but they also were not the devilish caricatures they were often portrayed as. The Popes of this time found themselves in a very difficult predicament. They were the secular lords of a decent slice of land right in the middle of central Italy. It was a good land to hold, but incredibly difficult to defend. The Papal States, or Papal Patrimony as it's sometimes called, was completely surrounded by would-be enemies and allies. Let's take a look at the Papal States neighborhood so we can get a sense of the dangerous political environment the Popes found themselves living in. Immediately to the south was the Kingdom of Naples. The Kingdom of Naples was an odd principality that rolled out of the High Middle Ages. Control of this kingdom was a constant struggle between different French and Spanish dynasties. Naples was highly involved in papal politics as well. Naples was itself constantly being batted around by the bigger powers of the day, and its loyalty could swing back and forth between these powers, thus making the Kingdom of Naples a strong papal ally, or a dangerous enemy depending on the day of the week. Let's step into another political mess, the city-states of northern Italy. The most powerful of these states were Milan, Venice, Florence, and Genoa, but there were any number of other smaller states that were incredibly important too, such as Siena and Pisa, Lucca, etc. All of these cities had their own internal politics and their own external relations. Modena could be friendly with the Papal States one day and then shift alliance to another city-state or kingdom and be at war with the Papal States the next day. On top of that, a very large percentage of the College of Cardinals was made up of churchmen from these city-states. 
meaning these small yet powerful republics had a direct line and say into church decisions and even who the next pope would be. Then we have France. The French crown liked to think of itself as incredibly Catholic and pious, but they really didn't like listening to what the popes had to say very often. France had a lot of irons in the political fires of Europe. As much as they saw themselves as the bulwark of Christian Europe, they were all about real politique, even making alliances with the Turks when it was advantageous. To the west was Aragon and Castile, and the other states that made up Spain. It was only in 1492 that the Catholic rulers of Spain were able to finish the Reconquista and reconquer the last Muslim principality in the Iberian Peninsula. That was the main focus of Spain, but the kings and queens of Castile and Aragon still had their fingers in a number of different diplomatic situations throughout southern Europe, and even into northern Europe. The rulers of Spain also saw themselves as a powerful defender of Christianity and the papacy. One thing with Spain, after 1492, they moved from being a significant regional power to what could be considered a world power after the discovery of North America by Christopher Columbus. Portugal was also highly involved in this age of discovery. Spain and Portugal were making piles of riches and were opening up places that were unheard of or even considered legendary just a decade and a half earlier to colonization and Christianization. Before we go into the final state, or more properly political entity, that was highly involved in papal politics, we should talk about the institution of the College of Cardinals. The College of Cardinals formed the government of the papal states and the Catholic Church. The cardinals elected the popes from amongst their own ranks, and they filled the most important roles in the curia. These cardinals came from all over Europe, so naturally they brought in the politics of their home countries, along with the internal politics of the church. Directly to the north of the Italian city-states was the Holy Roman Empire. The HRE, for short, derived its holiness and its Romanness from the Church of Rome. And for the most of the past several hundred years, the Holy Roman Emperors did not like that. Now, just keep in your mind, Martin Luther was in the Holy Roman Empire. The HRE had a very long and very complicated past with the papacy and Italy, going back to at least the seven or eight hundreds. Arguably, the relationship goes back even earlier with the precursor kingdom of the Franks. Throughout the early and up to the high Middle Ages, large swaths of Italy were under the direct control of the Holy Roman Empire. Relations, preferences, and allegiances between Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor were the basic political arguments for centuries. The aristocracy of northern Italy was completely enmeshed with Holy Roman imperial politics. As a matter of fact, many of their northern Italian city-states aristocracies originally came from the Holy Roman Empire and points northward and assimilated into Italian culture. The HRE provided many of the popes for centuries and were always highly involved in who was elected pope. Wars were fought between the Guelphs and the Ghibellines in Italy, Guelph deriving from the German house of Welf, and the term Ghibelline derived from an equally Germanic name, Wilbelligen. 
the Guelph Ghibelline political factional divide was the main conflict in Italy for hundreds of years, and their very names are derived from German aristocratic households and place names. Both of these words changing from a W in German to a G sound in the Romance language from Welf to Guelph and Wilbeligan, if you will, to Ghibelline. The same process that turned William or Wilhelm, Wilhelm to Guillaume, Guillermo, as well as my own family name from the English but older German Wara to Guerra, my own illustrious surname. Now, Martin Luther was born in central Germany, far, far away from Rome. We're talking about what could be a month's journey or more by foot. Martin Luther was very plugged into the Catholic hierarchy of his region, but he couldn't have had any idea of what complications a pope in Rome had to deal with. All this is to say, it would be very easy for someone like Martin Luther way up in northern Germany to look down his nose at these superstitious, know-nothing, semi-pagan, wasteful Italians, all the while ignoring the real-world concerns the papacy and the Italians dealt with day in and day out for centuries. Now let's dig into what were Martin Luther's gripes. There are a few questions we should keep simmering on the back burner as we move forward. Were the 95 Theses new complaints? Were they legitimate concerns? Were the concerns represented in the 95 Theses being completely ignored? Did Luther bring up novel interpretations that the Catholic Church had arguments against? The standard Reformation line is that the Catholic Church of the Renaissance was a complete cesspit and the Reformation thinkers came out, fixed all the problems, and returned to a pure form of Christianity with all that Roman innovation junk. It goes without saying the popes in Rome had something else to say on that matter. Martin Luther and his Protestant supporters rallied against the moral decadence of the Church, the sale of forgiveness or indulgences, the ostentatious wealth of the papacy, and the corruption that was rife among the clergy. For the first time in 1,500 years, the Catholic Church was in deep crisis. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calotrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply, And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605. Next time, we continue our deep dive into the life and times of this 16th century German monk and reformer whose efforts to alter the theology and practice of the Roman Catholic Church launched the Protestant Reformation. 
a form of Christianity that inspired early generations of men and women to cross a perilous ocean with their few belongings, hopes, dreams, and determination, and travel to the shores of North America. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying visuals, including maps, charts, timelines, photos, illustrations, and diagrams. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride.